when you go through your, the first time you opened a Bible, when you were a child perhaps, I don't know, when you, you first held a paper printed Bible, many people use the digital one on their, on their phones or computers, which is, which is fantastic that we can have that there too. But you, you noticed right away, first of all, the size of it, <laughs> and then how many books there are, and my goodness, where do I begin to read? It's got to be a very intimidating thing to, to open a Bible for the first time and wonder where to start. Well, of course, there's many books in the Bible, 66 of them to be exact. And within those books, there's a lot of writing, there's a lot of words, there's a lot of things that... Um, you know, are confusing. But one thing that helps is the fact that there's numbers. The books are broken up into sections called chapters. Well, you know, when, when Moses and, and, and David, Jeremiah, and um, Matthew, John, Paul, Peter wrote parts of the Bible, they didn't go chapter 1, verse 1, boom, 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 verse 2, boom, boom, boom. No, that wasn't there. They just wrote. And it wasn't until hundreds of years after the initial um, copies of the Bible were passed around and then copied. By the way, scholars do not have any original copy of any of these books in the entire Bible. So there was people that wrote them down, that copied them word for word, very meticulously, meticulously very careful. And they put monk, a monk, I forget his name, but he decided this would be easier to find our way around if we had numbers in these books. And so he added them. A couple hundred years later, when the printing press was invented, there was a printer who decided, well, we got the books in order and we have chapters. They're helpful, but wow, I would love it if we had, you know, broken down these chapters into smaller sections and every, every sentence or a couple of sentences is a verse. And so he added them. So we have an easy way to find through the book because of two people. Now, all the book is inspired by God. All the book is the Holy Spirit working through these men who wrote this. The numbers and the, 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 the chapters and the verse numbers are not, quote, inspired by God. Okay, So don't think there's something um, spiritually powerful about a, a number in front of a verse or a particular chapter because it has that number, that is. All right? Having said that... <laughs> There is something interesting in Acts. And this is the book we're looking at. If you go to Acts chapter 1, and you go to verse 8, this was when Jesus was giving the, the apostles his last-minute instructions before ascending to heaven. So he's giving them a, a process to follow. And it says here in the 8th verse, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. A process that the apostles were to follow and, and to, to get this message of truth out to their world. Let's flip the reference. Instead of Acts 1.8, go to Acts 8.1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 
Judea, Samaria, in Jerusalem. There is a big turning point right here in the 8th chapter of Acts. We've, we've seen how uh, after Jesus ascended to heaven, he told the, in Acts 1, he told them to, to wait in Jerusalem till the coming of the Spirit. And the Spirit came, and it came down upon them what, what looked like tongues of fire, what sounded like a, a strong wind. And they went out into the city, and they were speaking languages that the people in that city knew. But how could they get these languages? Because there was people gathered there from all over the world, and the apostles miraculously could speak those languages they never knew before. And then Peter settled the crowd down, and a massive crowd gathered in Jerusalem, and Peter told them what it's all about. At the end of his message, he had what today we might call an altar call, but basically the opportunity to, to repent and turn to Jesus, and, and 3,000 people on day one. Instant mega church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem Community Church, there it is. 3,000 people. No building to meet in, it's okay, but they had gathered. And then we see how trouble comes to the church very early when, when Peter and John just were doing the work of God and they healed a lame man and they caused a big ruckus. They had to stand before the Sanhedrin and the church grew some more. And in the fifth chapter, there's a warning about Ananias and Sapphira thinking they could fool God by saying they sold their, their, their house and here's all the money, but they kept some for themselves. God punished them with their lives for that, and yet that shook the church up. But the church kept going. The church was still growing. And then we also have another time where the apostles, this time all of 12 of them, were arrested and thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, what they were told not to do after the first time Peter and John went before the Sanhedrin. And Peter says, we can't not speak. We must speak the truth about this Jesus that we know about. We have no choice. So this was the church. But then in the seventh chapter, we, are, we see this man named Stephen. And we looked at him last week and his really bold message before the Sanhedrin about how this Jesus connects with all of what we call the Old Testament, all of the, 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 the law and the prophets and the stories of old all have culminated in this time and place in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And because he died and rose again, he is also the Christ, the Messiah. And they weren't ready to hear that, and they threw stones at him until he was dead. Now, that's where Acts 8.1 comes in. What happened as a response to this? And what I'm going to do, first of all, I'm going to tell the story of Acts 8.1 in sort of a summary kind of way, excuse me, of, of the whole chapter of Acts 8. And then I'm going to come back to it and, and emphasize a particular um, pattern or, or uh, maybe, maybe a problem that God is resolving in, in all the early chapters of Acts that sort of lead up to here in, in Acts 8, okay? But I'll get back to that in a moment. But if you have um, subheadings in your Bible, you'll see that and when you begin... Acts 8, um, you'll see that Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. So Saul is just sort of inserted right there. And Luke is going to come back to him later. And then as I read a moment ago, the persecution broke out against um, you know, all, of the, all of the church. And everyone scattered, but the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. Remember that, okay? And then Saul began to destroy the church. 
going from house to house. And now there's a man named Philip. He was not the Philip of, of, the, of the Gospels, one of the 12 of Jesus' disciples, okay? There was one of those named Philip. It's a different man named Philip, but he is certainly a, a, a devout believer in Jesus. And he goes ahead and um, takes the gospel to Samaria. So the, the process that Jesus was talking about, excuse me, that, yes, that Jesus was talking about when he was before ascended to heaven, said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So it's, it's happening. It, it's moving forward. Um, so Philip does that, and, and he goes to this Samaritan city, and he's, he's blessed with the power to heal people, and the city's rejoicing, and, and it's really exciting. Now, in, in that city, there was a sorcerer named Simon, and he actually became a believer as well. He liked people. He liked showing them whatever tricks he did and that kind of thing, but of course, his source of power wasn't coming from the right place, and while he believed in Jesus, loved the message, and, and was even baptized, there was still something in his heart that wasn't quite right. Well, when the apostles back in Jerusalem heard what was going on down in Samaria, they sent Peter and John to go check it out. What's going on down there? That's pretty great. And indeed, they found that all these people were, were coming to faith, and they, they laid their hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. Well, Simon the sorcerer saw them receive the Spirit by laying on hands. He says, hey, would you give me that power? I'll even pay you for it. Uh-oh. <laughs> and Peter, of course, rebuked him for that. And, and, and he, he emphasizes um, the... This is down at the 23rd verse, okay? He says, this is Peter speaking to Simon the sorcerer, I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He cuts right past the sorcery stuff. He goes to the heart. You are filled with bitterness. Sometimes people who like to get attention are, are trying to uphold or are trying to, to, to bolster a very broken self-image. And if they just get some kind of attention from people, some, hopefully positive, but, but something where, oh, you're wonderful. Oh, thanks for doing that. Oh, you're great. And he's, he's doing that through use of sorcery. And, and yet at, at the bottom was a, a bitterness issue. What was he bitter about? What happened to this man before? He turned to this. But it was also a heart issue. Captive to sin. And Simon did, did repent and, and turn from that. Then it gets back to Philip. Now, Peter and John go back to Jerusalem. Okay, remember that too. Now we're down to the 26th verse. Philip is directed by an angel of the Lord to go to a particular spot, and he's going to have a meeting with somebody. It, it, uh, you call it a chance meeting, but it was a spirit-directed meeting with a man from Ethiopia who was... Um, a eunuch, and he worked in the, the queen's court. In fact, he was kind of an official for the queen of Ethiopia. Now, the reason he's, he, the, the word eunuch, not a pleasant topic, but <laughs> basically he was castrated because he worked for the queen. That was a very common thing to do in, that, in the ancient world. Because if there were men around the queen, the king would always be afraid of the men sneaking off with the queen. So if they 
Can't do anything about it. Okay, enough said on that. So that's where eunuch comes from. But nonetheless, he was a man that was actually rather well-to-do. He was an official in, in this country, Ethiopia. He had to be rich enough to travel all the way to Jerusalem, which is why he went there, to worship God. He was a worshiper of God from another land. And he was on his way back, and he had a copy of Isaiah. Now, to have a copy of the Bible, I mean, we can get these, thankfully, freely. And we, we take that for granted, but back then, that was not the case. There, it wasn't as if there was, you know, millions of copies of, the, of Isaiah's prophet floating around. Just grab one, go down to the corner bookstore and get one, you know, go online to Amazon. No, you can't do that. Get it on your phone. What's a phone? You know, so it... How do, you, how do you read Isaiah? Well, the copies are few and far between, which makes them very expensive. And even if you have the money, it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily get one. But somehow, he got a copy of Isaiah. And he's sitting in his chariot, and there's others with him as well. So he's an official. He has probably some guards. He's going to travel that distance. You're going to need some, you know, some, uh, some strength around you to make sure nobody messes with you. So this well-to-do official from Africa came all the way to Jerusalem to worship God. He gets a copy of Isaiah. He comes back. He paused on the journey to read, and he doesn't understand it. That's the moment Philip came. That's the moment the angel of the Lord had Philip get there. And I will pick this up at the 32nd verse. Um, This is the scripture. This is the passage of the scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And he replied to Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? And Philip was ready. Well, of course, that's Jesus. And let me tell you all about him. And he did. And then the, the, the eunuch said, great, let's get baptized. I mean, I, I want to be baptized. Let's find some water. And so they did. And once they came out of the water, somehow the Spirit of God took Philip and sort of transported them. It was like a, almost like Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty, and send me somewhere else. You know, it, it, it just instantly, he was gone. But to Philip, now here's the important thing. This eunuch from Ethiopia took the gospel to Africa. Now, we don't know any more in Scripture of the rest of his story. I'd love to hear that. But that was a one more example of... Now, think of what Philip did. The commission from Jesus was, wait for the Spirit in Jerusalem... And then spread it around Jerusalem, spread the message around Judea, spread the message into Samaria, and go to the ends of the earth. So Philip was part of the first two steps in terms of his own salvation. And then he took it to Samaria, and he was responsible for a man who would take it to Africa. And, of course, there's many other people that would be part of that, but there was this man, Philip, doing all of This work for God. Now, I have a question this morning. It's not one that I'm necessarily going to answer, but I want us to see perhaps just a different light on on this this chapter and some other things in the the previous chapters of, of Acts. 
about the apostles. Um, the church before Stephen, before this horrible, um, really, murder of Stephen, stoning him to death, before that, the church was growing rapidly. 3,000 the first day, many thousands another day. It was, it was a mega church. It was just so, and the, and the city was so excited. And it keeps telling us in several passages that all the people were on their side. Like, like the common folk in Jerusalem, they thought these, these, they weren't called Christians yet, but they thought these people who were following Jesus were wonderful. They're nice. They share things. They, you know, they give to the poor. They feed people. Wow. And oh boy, these apostles, have you heard them preach? This is great. And so the average people, you know, were thinking this is a good thing and a movement of God, which really frightened the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin. We got to do something about that. And they kept trying to do things. And they brought Peter and John in. It didn't work. They brought all the apostles in before them. It didn't work. And then they had an idea that turned the crowd. Let's spread lies and, they're, and you know what? They won't look like a lie because they're partially true. For example, this Jesus said he wants to tear the temple down. Well, everyone's going to get angry about that. The temple is the center of life. The temple is, that's where God lives, many of them believed. But we, we, can't, we can't, a life without a temple, that's impossible. And so that got people angry. Did he really say that? Oh, yeah, he said that. But, of course, Jesus meant himself. His own body, the temple, tear that down and he will raise it up. But then they also said, this lie, that they were trying to do away with the law of Moses to destroy their way of life. And they believed it. That is, the common folk believed it. And that, that the anger of the Sanhedrin that led to the death of Stephen, that same anger spread in among the folks who, who earlier at least agreed to disagree with the apostles. They wouldn't, oh, they believe what they want, that's okay, but now, no more. Now they all had to run. And it's led by a guy named Saul. And he starts going house to house and arresting people who are following Jesus. So they are scattered. But the, the apostles, for some reason, stayed there. And I'm not sure why, okay? Now, they, they were still probably hunted men, or at least on the wanted list by the Sanhedrin. So it's, it's, it's unclear exactly what, why they stayed when everyone else you know, scattered. But when they got word about the gospel going to Samaria through Philip, and Peter and John went down there, when that story ended, they went back to Jerusalem. So let's, let's turn it back a little bit, a couple of chapters, to, to chapter number 6. Now, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm thinking here is that as exciting as it was to have thousands of people in the first church of Jerusalem, <laughs> the first church anywhere, and, and all the good they were doing and, and, and the growth... The plan that God gave them wasn't just for them. And it wasn't just for Judea, the surrounding area. It was for everyone, including your hated enemies, the Samaritans. And everyone else in the world. We saw pictures of the church years ago. 
some of you were there in these days. Um, when we met at the school, the first couple of years, we grew really fast. And, and we were getting to about, um, I think we peaked at about 120 people on a Sunday morning. And, but there was some division working its way in, and it did. And it worked in the sense of dividing us. And the details of that don't matter. But what I want to say is, I remember what it felt like as a pastor to have this growth going on in the church. And wow. And it, it's very easy when you are successful to sort of take claim, take credit for it, feel better about yourself. Well, look at me. And that's just, you know, a little church, 120 people. That's not that big, but I felt pretty good about it. And, and it, it, it's, you have to really, really keep your, Keep yourself humble when things are going well. And that's not just for a pastor. Okay, when, when life is going well, you think, oh, God's blessing me, everything's awesome. And be careful. Pride goes before the fall. And, and so the apostles were the pastoral staff of Jerusalem Community Church with thousands of people. Do you think it went to their heads? You think it could go to their heads? Hmm. So back to chapter 6. When um, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, in those days, when, verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because of their widows who were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered around, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. Now let's just take that line and isolate it. It would not be right for us to neglect the word of God to wait on tables. Does that line represent Jesus? I'm just putting it out there. Because I go to Matthew chapter 20. And this is one of many you could choose. Okay? Now, I understand that they were trying to delegate the work, and I get that. Okay? And you can't do everything. But isn't there a part of us, even the senior pastor of the biggest church on the globe, has to have a servant's heart, and be actively serving in, in the literal definition of that word in some way, okay? In some way in their life. Because Jesus said, in fact, let's go back, this is, this is Matthew 20, and um, now Jesus was going up, this is verse 17, I'm sorry. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And the third day he will rise to life. So that's something he said several times before he went to in Jerusalem. All right? So the disciples are starting to figure something out that, wow, he is going to be glorified. Wow, look at these miracles he's done. Wow, look at all the people. So it started to go to their heads. And then 
Peter, excuse me, James and John, the two brothers, got this idea. Okay? Let's not go to Jesus and ask for honor. That would be really rude. Let's ask mom to ask him. <laughs> Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She granted, excuse me, she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Wow. Is that all? <laughs> is that all you want? Can I get you a sandwich first or something? I mean, what? Hmm. Jesus' response is, you know, he's Jesus, so he knows how to even take something like this. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. So they're standing there with her. They answered, notice it says. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, just when you put together all of the, the attitudes on display by these 12 people, okay, in the Gospels, it says they were indignant. You know what that means behind it, I think? Why didn't we think of that? Because <laughs> they all, it, it, it's natural to want to be part of the big thing and to work your way up into a high position. And wow, this is great. I want to be there. I want people to see me. That's human nature. It happens to all of us, or at least we're tempted to go there when things are going well or you're part of something big and new and exciting. And that's why they had their mother ask this. Now, here's where it connects back to Acts 6, when these same 12, except Judas and the new guy, but these same 12, basically, were assigning a task that apparently they didn't want to do. So, you know, wait on widows. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, again, I, I don't... I think there is... There is wisdom in delegating tasks to more people, and that's good about what they did there. Okay? But if that is a sign of we're above that, then maybe they've drifted a little bit. Maybe, maybe that the, all these thousands of people has gone to their heads and maybe even to their hearts a little bit at least. Because they apparently didn't have time to help out with that. Now, I think even if you're the, the lead pastor and your, your, your responsibility is to preach the word and teach the word and be a leader and train the leaders, that's a lot right there. But you still need to get into the kitchen once in a while. Or you still need to, to be out there and, you know, greeting people at the cars who came for meals. And, you know, in other words, actively serving, genuinely, literally serving people. 
Okay? It's not, it's not your main thing, but, but I'm not going to throw it out. And we just celebrated 20 years, so, so for the next 10 or 20, all right, as long as I'm pastor, then if, if I start, you know, just letting go of stuff like that and don't bother with that, I mean, if I don't, I, I feel bad that I forgot the kid's message, okay? I'll make it up. I'll have a, a double good one next week, you know? But um, if, if I stop paying attention to the children, please stop me. If I don't feel like being here for the dinners, please stop me. Because I need to, to by example, show what, servants, what, what a servant's heart looks like. And I hope that I do. And that doesn't mean I do all of the work. It doesn't even mean it's my main responsibility. But I am part of it. And it seems like the apostles were just giving that away to other people to serve tables. Now, here's why I think this may be the case, all right? So it goes on then in, in the sixth chapter of Acts, and they, they chose seven, and, and they selected um, these guys that are listed in the fifth verse. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip. Now we know about those two. And then some other guys, uh, Pro- Prochorus, um, Nicanor, Timon, Parmaeus, and Nicholas from Antioch. Now, the last five, we don't, there's no more record of them in Scripture one way or the other. But the first two, Stephen and Philip, apparently they didn't just serve tables. And again, I'm not, I say that not like just like that's a lesser task. I'm saying they knew that was really important. They knew that serving people was, was showing love in a tangible and active way, and they were part of it. And they took on that responsibility and, and participated in it, but then they also made time to go out and preach because Stephen really could, and he was good at it, and he died for it. And then Philip, after Stephen's death, well, we got to take this message, and so where should we go? I'm going to Samaria. Okay, he goes to Samaria, and great things happen, and the apostles are still in Jerusalem. So sometimes God steps in, to get us moving. And, and I'm not saying that the apostles, you know, became stuffy and arrogant, you know. I'm saying in this moment, wasn't quite, wasn't quite what God had in mind because they were still in Jerusalem and they were supposed to go to, Samaria, to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then lastly this morning, I just want to point out how God uses leaders in the church. God calls people to lead. And in the first church, it was the apostles, okay, those 12 guys. So in any church, you're going to have leaders. And, and when maybe if, if, if the apostles were, were procrastinating or forgot or they got too wrapped up in all the other things they were doing, I'm sure they all meant well. And, but God called other people to do the work. Now, he didn't exclude the apostles. He didn't say, all right, enough with you guys. I'm picking some new ones. And certainly they came back in and did many things. But notice how God, would, God chose Stephen to be the catalyst to get the church moving. God chose Philip to go to that place that none of the Jews wanted to go to, Samaria. God chose Another man named Saul, who would eventually be Paul, to go and reach another hated people group that's pretty much everybody else who wasn't a Jew called Gentiles. And the, the rest of the New Testament is pretty much 
a, an ongoing debate about how, if the Gentiles can be followers of Jesus and what it means if they are and, and they do. How, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? And, 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 so, and there's factions forming about people that think, no, they have to follow the law of Moses. They have to do things like uh, bring, bring circumcision to, to them if they want to be part of this. And that was a law of Moses thing. And there's a big meeting we'll get to in a couple of months here later in Acts about settling that issue. This was the problem. And so what I'm saying this morning here is that the, the gospel has always been meant for everybody, but when something's going well... It is human nature to sort of just circle the wagons and this is just for us. Us four no more, <laughs> or whatever. Us 4,000. It was always meant to grow. It was always meant to move on. And, and I love how Luke, as he writes this, this, this letter, this, this, this um, oh, it's, a, it's a history lesson, basically, the story. Early on, he inserted Barnabas. And one day we'll see what, how important Barnabas was to Paul because, or Saul at that time, at that point, the, the apostles didn't trust Saul. They were afraid. Barnabas, they trusted him. They said, guys, it's going to be okay. This guy's legit. And he called Saul to preach. He called Stephen to give his life. He called Philip to go to Samaria. Let me wrap it up with this. God's work goes on like a slow train. And you can get on that slow train. You can hop on. And if you're not real liberal on your feet, there'll be people that will help you up. But you can get on that train. This is God's work. And participate in what's happening. Or you can sit at the station and do your own thing. And you know what? It's a really long train. You can still get on. You can still get on, okay? As long as you're here in this world, there's an opportunity for you to, to, to step back in. And so if, and I say if because it was, it's not that clear, if the apostles were kind of procrastinating or maybe you know, losing sight of, of what they were supposed to be doing, it, it's not as if God excluded them. Okay, fellas, I'm going to send some other people, and maybe they'll remind you of what you're supposed to be doing too. And I think they got that eventually. And that's the way it is with us. We fall. We fail. We get tired. We, this morning's mess was, um, well, it's this stuff. Um, I, I, I like the fact that we can have visuals and PowerPoint. And that's all a good thing. You know? But it's a lot of work. Like, so, so there's, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying what happened. I, I, I prepare the message, and then I put it in a form and it, with pictures and you know, outlines and a whole deal up there. And it just went kablooey on me. <laughs> and then on top of that, the, the songs weren't ready at, at St. John's this morning. That, that was my fault. I, the, someone else picks them, I load them, and I, I thought I did it and I didn't. It was just one thing after the other. So you, guess what? Pastor Paul is certainly fallible and, and does fall and fail at times. But you know what? The train's still there. I might have stumbled off for a little bit. But I'm getting back on. The train's still going. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going to move on with or without you. He wants you to be on and to participate in the work of God in this world. But always with the heart of a servant. Let's pray. Father, may your word go forth in our lives. May you give us what we need when we need it. Like me standing here. 
half an hour ago, I didn't think I was strong enough to do this, but two very devout and special women prayed for me and the church prayed with me. And I'm okay. Help us all to give what we can and to participate in what you're doing. Amen.